Hello, Ramp Church, Manchester. I want to talk to you today about racism, and here's why. First, as you know, we're a diverse community, and Manchester is one of the most diverse cities in the world. And, of course, Ramp Church is a beautiful reflection of the diversity all around us. Um, Secondly, of course, I'm a leader and a pastor in this diverse church. I love the diversity of our faith family, and uh, because of that, it would be hypocritical of me not to address this topic. So uh, lastly, my heart is for us as a diverse church uh, that we genuinely live in the unity that Jesus died for. I've been loving Jesus' prayer in John 17 over the past few weeks. This is what he prayed right here. Let's look at this verse. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Uh, You know, this discussion is going to require an open mind and an open heart uh, to my black, Asian, and minority ethnic family. I just want to thank you for speaking out. Thank you for not giving up. And especially to those of you in the Ramp Church community, thank you for taking the time and effort to bring me along with you. It wasn't your job to help me see the world from your point of view, but you've done it anyway. And I believe the best days of racial harmony are ahead of us. And I have you in many ways to thank for that. So to to my white family, today's message is for you and me. I know each of us are in a different place on this journey. Some of you have never been open to considering if you've had racist ideas. This discussion feels maybe even silly or perhaps even intrusive. Let me tell you that many others have felt the same way. And what they found is a freshness in opening their hearts and minds, like opening a window on a beautiful spring day. Uh, Some of you have done self-reflection. You've been aware of your upbringing, Uh, your experiences, Um, maybe you felt genuine freedom in this area personally. Uh, So you maybe just have a hard time relating to the outrage. Maybe it feels overblown, kind of like the worst kind of Facebook argument taken to the streets. Uh, Maybe you have a hard time relating to the intensity. It it all seems so divisive and angry. Uh, Your feelings are the same of many of our white brothers and sisters, but what they found is seeing the world through someone else's eyes has brought new vibrancy to life. Like traveling to another country for the first time, they're experiencing a depth and beauty in the world they didn't even know was there before. And that's what I want to invite you into today. I, I, I do admit this is going to be a challenging message. But remember, this is important for us to remember this principle. Growth can't happen without challenge. The empowering thing about this journey is that success looks different for each of us today. For some of you watching, this is the first talk on racism you've ever intentionally listened to. Success for you may be opening up to consider some new ideas. Others, success is going to be a deeper level of self-reflection, maybe repentance, maybe inviting the Holy Spirit into this journey with you. Uh, And then some of you, uh, you hate racism, the the pain it's caused, um, but you've never really engaged in helping change things. And for you, 
Success looks, um, looks like making some clear decisions today to engage in your world in new ways. So wherever you're at on that journey, Ramp Church, um, many, many people have gone before you and they found purpose and joy in simply taking the next step. So I recommend um, that you grab a notepad and a pen because uh, while I'm talking, I want you to write down your next step. Uh, because you won't become the next Martin Luther King Jr. in one message, but you can find greater identity and purpose in discovering one next step. That's my heart for you today. And, you know, the season of lockdown has been interesting as a parent, and the parents watching, you can probably relate to this. But one of the things is when you have our entire family, there are five members of our family, all living in the house all day long, the house gets a little chaotic and a little messy uh, quicker than normal. And so we've tried, Stacy and I have tried with our three girls to do daily chores. And um, if you've ever tried to get kids to do daily chores, you know the pain that we've experienced uh, in this past season. But one of the things I noticed is um, recently, I've noticed some of the same exact chores, the, the kids choosing to do the same chores every day and choosing not to do other chores. So one of the chores we put in early on in lockdown was for our kids to, with disinfectant, disinfect every doorknob and light switch. Why? Because we're in a global pandemic and we just wanna make sure everything's tidy and clean and germless. Well, the other day I noticed, wait a second, I think our kids are, are like spending half of their chore time doing that same chore every day while dust is building up on the bookshelves and <laughs> around the television. And sometimes when I, when I feel like in the church, we get on this topic of racism or topics like it, we so, it's, it's like that cleaning schedule. You so get in the habit of focusing on the same things over and over and over that other areas of our Christian life are completely neglected. And I just want you to take a fresh look today, wherever you're at, um, to, to go, maybe there's been some things I'm neglecting, and today I want to turn my attention to those. Um, now, maybe I you know, have had an advantage over the past few weeks that many of you watching haven't had, and that is that I have had numerous conversations, hours of conversations um, with people of color, white people, pastors, leaders, and so many more in our, our community and outside of our community about this topic and about the moment we're in. And so I wanna share with you some of what I've gleaned from those conversations. I wanna share um, two things that I've gleaned that I believe are hindrances from us receiving true racial harmony and for us walking in the answer of Jesus's prayer for unity. And then I wanna share what I'm calling four urgent imperatives, four urgent imperatives that we, we must do if we're to see racial harmony and the answer to Jesus's prayer in our day. So let's start with the, with the two hindrances that I feel. The first one is this hindrance right here. We have, as the white community, we have a tendency to minimize the effects of racism on the black community. We have a tendency to minimize the effects of racism on the black community. One of the things I've noticed through all these hours of conversations is just how deeply affected our people of color are in moments like this. And um, this is a great quote that I feel like can even open this window for us to see this issue by, by Rennie Ito Lodge. It says, it's truly, talking about racism, a lifetime 
of self-censorship that people of color have to live. And, and, And this is what she says. The options are speak your truth and face the reprisals or bite your tongue and get ahead in life. That doesn't sound very enjoyable, does it? And then she compares it to the average life of, of, of a majority ethnic. It must be a strange life, always having permission to speak and feeling indignant when you're finally asked to listen. Uh, I love this, this quote from Rupi Carr, the, the poet. Uh, she says, Something's terribly wrong if the pain, sorrow, and outrage of a people makes you more uncomfortable than murder itself. And what, what is, what's, what's Carr trying to say here? That sometimes we're, we're focusing on the wrong things. We're getting upset about issues that aren't the main issue. And why is that? Because we have a tendency to minimize the effects of racism. And when you're focusing on the wrong part of the issue, then you're going you're you're going to misunderstand what's ultimately going on. Um, Even the Bible addresses what happens when we minimize the issues around us. Look at this in Psalms 32. This is David speaking. So before I read the verse, David and King David and King Saul are an interesting contrast in the Bible. Um, David is always bringing his shortcomings and his failings to God. It's a beautiful picture. I just want to just encourage you to read those stories if you haven't. But the, the, the king before him was a man named King Saul. And King Saul just habitually, it was, he was notorious for, for failing and never truly admitting his failure. And you could see he minimized, he minimized the size of that failure. And here... King David wrote a song about when he tries to minimize failure, and this is what he says about it. When I kept silent, when I tried to minimize what I'd done wrong, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I can hear in that, in that poetic phrase some conversations of, uh, from people of color that I've even had this week, that their bones feel like they're wasting away through groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. David goes on to say in this, when I finally saw my shortcomings and my failures the way you saw them, God, to the size that, when I stopped minimizing it, all of a sudden I felt refreshed. I felt alive again. And I wanna tell you the first hindrance to finding racial harmony in our lives and the unity that Jesus promised is... Uh, minimizing the effects of racism. I want us to move beyond that ramp, church. The second is this. The second hindrance is this. We deny the prevalence of racism in Western society. We, we for some reason, we think that it's, it's like a select few people. It's, we think that uh, a select few really bad, evil people are racist and the rest of us are off the hook. And um, the, the, the problem with that is racism is, is, a, is a global issue, and it's certainly rampant in the West right now. And I love what Vanessa Kingori, who's, who's a director at, at, at British Vogue, said about this. She says, treat racism like COVID-19. Assume you have it. You may be asymptomatic. You may not be showing it. It may not be evident in everything you're doing or saying or acting, but racism is the disease. You may be the carrier, but the aim is not to destroy the host. You're not the enemy. It's to eradicate and kill the disease. And one of the things I love about this metaphor of COVID-19 is because all of us are are experiencing firsthand what it's like to address a disease that has 
right now global reach. It's everywhere you look. And you don't act like that's, that's just in one spot in society. You treat it differently. And this is, this is, this is the principle that I, I feel like we can learn from the way we treated COVID-19. You, you need to act like everyone has it until you know everyone doesn't. How, how much ground could we cover if we didn't just treat COVID-19 like that? But we, we treated the enemies of our soul. We treated the enemies of injustice. We treated the divisions that separate us like everyone has it until we're convinced everyone doesn't. I just think even in this, there's an invitation for us as the people of God to go, I think this is the starting point for Christians, to go, hey, God, look inside of me. The psalmist says it like this, search me and know me, God. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I love my my good friend and pastor, Casey Doss. He says it like this, Jesus won't heal what we're not willing to admit. Why is it powerful just to, just to say, you know what, I'm going to look deeper? There, there may have been some times in my life that, that racism has affected the way I see people or influenced or impacted me. Well, this is why, because Jesus can't heal it unless we're willing to admit it. And may, maybe you have been on years of a journey, you know, a, a journey of, of, of seeking God, of, of, of looking inward, of, of asking the Holy Spirit to sanctify you and, and, and cleanse you. And you go, hey, Joe, I have found the vaccine and I've taken it. I feel like that this disease isn't in my life. And I've, I've talked to many in the white community since this, this, um, this recent season of, of racism has erupted. And they're kind of coming from that perspective. I, I genuinely feel like I'm not coming uh, that I don't have a racist background. And, and I want to tell you, there's a step beyond that. There's a step further. And that is, let's not just make sure we're not racist, but this is the question I would ask you. If you feel like you've taken the vaccine, what have you done? Have you done anything to help bring change to the world around you? That it's not just enough to, 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 to not be racist yourself. We have to take anti-racist stances for the world around us. So those are the two hindrances. Now we could talk about more, but those are the, I, th- I feel like the two main hindrances that are keeping us from experiencing racial harmony and from really fulfilling the answer of Jesus's prayer for unity in our day. And now I wanna talk about what I'm calling four urgent imperatives on the road to racial redemption. Four urgent imperatives on the road to racial redemption. And this is going to be, I, th- I feel like, powerfully eye-opening for you. I just want to mention the work of the clinical social worker and counselor, Dr. Anita Phillips, who's just been massive in helping me even shape language for this. And um, um, and I would encourage you to look up her work. It's, it's, it's really strong. But before, before I get into the first urgent imperative, um, I just want to read a verse to you that talks about Jesus. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. For we do not have a high priest. It's talking about Jesus as the high priest. And a priest is, is somebody that, that, um, that connects God and man, connects God and humanity. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, Yet he did not sin. This is one of my favorite verses about Jesus, talking about Jesus. Because what it's saying is God didn't choose to be separated from the things we're dealing with, from our pain, from our temptations, 
from our hardships, from our challenges, even our limitations or our weaknesses. But God in Jesus chose himself to experience what we're experiencing. And as Christians, that really is fundamental to understanding what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to, to, to relate to this God, is to realize Jesus himself chose to be one with our pain. And I want to ask you this question about Jesus. Imagine if he didn't come to experience what we experience. Imagine if he stayed distant. Hey, wouldn't it be a totally different experience? to try to relate to a God that had no idea what it was like for you to be you, that had absolutely no understanding, could not empathize, as the writer of Hebrews just said, with the feelings of your weakness or your infirmity or your pain or your challenges. It changes everything in the way we relate to God. And I, wanna, I, I do want to tell you, it actually changes the way we relate to one another. And it, it, it leads us to the first urgent imperative. And this is the first urgent imperative. I want us at Ramp Church, I want us to ask the people of color in our lives what happened without judging why. I think this is the first urgent imperative for us to walk in the unity that Jesus prayed for and for us to see racial harmony in our day is, is, is we're asking what happened without judging why. Listen to this, when we explain the why, without being immersed in the what. When we explain the why without being immersed in the what, we wrongly remove the grounds for people's pain. We belittle their judgment and we reinforce their oppressors. Uh, white brothers and sisters, we should be disturbed that our default posture is wanting to teach and correct minority communities. That should disturb us. That's our default posture. It's just not right. It isn't right. We should be asking what happened. And I want to tell you, this happens to even the most well-meaning among us. Sometimes this isn't a motive issue at all. Sometimes we have the best intentions. But can I just tell you, just because you have great intentions doesn't mean it justifies bad behavior. This is about learning how to treat minority ethnicities in our world properly. This is about urgent imperatives that lead to racial harmony and the answer of Jesus's prayer for unity. Just because you mean well doesn't mean you're helping. And you've got to let that sink in. But I have good news for you today on this exact point. The solution is simple. This isn't com it's not complex. The solution to this urgent imperative is simple, and it looks, it looks like this. This is, this is what it looks like. We can say things like, what happened? Uh, how did that make you feel? Tell me more. That's one of the most powerful statements you can just use. Tell me more about that. How can I help? I'm so sorry to hear that. Try this one. I can only imagine how much pain that causes. There's ever been a time ramp church for us to embody a verse in our lives. It is this one right here uh, in the book of James. And this is what he's saying. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. He is, as a pastor, as a church leader, he's trying to emphasize this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Just let that sink in. I, there's, there's, 
you know, I think every single person in Ramp Church could benefit from from letting that phrase "quick to listen" just sink in and meditate on that over the over the coming days. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. I'm telling you, there's Facebook arguments I I I've seen I see every day that this verse would be a great one to inject right in the middle of, and it's because it's because they've been started because the opposite of this has been true. People have been fast to speak, they've been slow to listen, and they've been quick to become angry. And I want to tell you, sometimes as believers, we're being divisive when we're trying to bring truth and love. And that's and it's because we're getting this out of whack. And again, it's not about intentions. Sometimes it's just about your behavior. We need to learn how to be quick to listen. That needs to be our default position, not speaking. Default needs to be listening. And I, I can tell you, Ramp Church, as we take that posture, we're going to start to see things change. This is an urgent imperative in your life and in our community. So the first urgent imperative on the road to racial redemption is that we need to ask what happened without judging why. The second urgent imperative is this. We trust and empower the voice of the wounded. We trust and empower the voice of the wounded. Let me say this as plainly as possible, Ram Church. It's not the place of the white majority to explain the pain of the black minority. It's not our place. It's true that there's pain common to all of us. And it's also true that there's pain unique and distinct to some of us. Most people will never know the pain a parent feels when they have to bury their own child. That's a unique pain. Yes, it's similar in nature to pain that all of us feel, but it's distinct in its intensity, in its particular sting. And I wanna tell you in the same way, racism against blacks is a unique pain and can only be truly understood by experience. The closest that you and I can get in the white community is through listening. That's the closest we can get. I want to uh, I tell you there's, there's actually a biblical promise that's associated with allowing victims to speak. It's found in Isaiah 58. Let's look at this together. This is beautiful. This is, this is what the prophet is saying, the prophet Isaiah. If you get rid of unfair practices, this is a call to us, Ramp Church, in this season. Quit blaming victims. Notice how it didn't say who was right or wrong, what the policy was, what the statistics are, what political party they belong to. We put this stuff in the wrong categories. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing, Ramp Church. Quit blaming victims. Quit gossiping about other people's sins. You you know, we just, in the church, we just need to, to, to get the revelation. We're not the sin police. We aren't. There are things that are more important to use our voice for. And we need to quit blaming victims. We need to quit gossiping about other people's sins. If And this is the promise. Look at this. If you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, look what will happen. Your lives will begin to glow. In the darkness, your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Why? How? We start to listen and empower the voice of the wounded. And then all of a sudden our lives glow. They can't be hidden. 
the world will know, wait a second, God must be with them. Paul echoes the need for unity, and he uses the beautiful metaphor for our community, the church community, the Christian community as a body. Let's look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says it this way, God has put the body together. That's you and I. He's put us together. We're together. We're not not just a, a collection of independent people, but we're a community. We're a body. We're interdependent. So that there should be no division in the body. What a beautiful vision. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Look at this phrase. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. Look, this is a principle that I think we need to get from this. It's right here. A marker of Christianity should be we run to our wounded. We run to our wounded. People of color right now are wounded. They are feeling the pain of racism. Uh, they, they felt it their whole lives, but in this season, it has a unique sting to it, has a unique pain to it. And we as, we as a church community, as Christians, we need to run to our wounded, not run away, not try to explain it away, not try to justify it, not put it in political categories. We need to, as Paul said, we need to suffer with those who are suffering. This is an urgent imperative, Ramp Church. It's an urgent imperative. Think about the human body and the way our human body even works. You can get, you can be a grown man. I mean, you you can be a triathlete and you get a paper cut and it's like all your attention and your entire body focuses on this tiny little paper cut on your hand. And then your body all of a sudden sends cells to bring healing to that one place. Why does the body do that? Because it knows that 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 injured place needs attention. Even our body mirrors the spiritual reality that God wants us to walk out as people, that we run to our wounded. That needs to be our posture in this season. Not, Not condemning or explaining situations on Facebook. Not judging people. But we need to run to are wounded. The second urgent imperative is this. We trust and empower the voice of the wounded. And this is, this is, this is the third one. The third and urgent imperative is this. We create safe spaces and relationships. We create safe spaces and rela- relationships. I, I, I love in their book called Safe People, Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend, they, they start to explain the bedrock of what it means to have a safe space. Um, And this is what they say. In safe relationships, empathy is a large part of the equation. We literally enter the other person's head and attempt to understand how he or she feels, what he believes, and how he thinks. Empathy is walking in the moccasins of another person and not judging him until we can see what suffering he's been through to get to the point he's at now. Empathy is not easy. It isn't easy. It involves letting go of your opinion and what you're needing in the relationship so that you can enter the world of the other person. If only for a brief time. We can't stay in the empathetic position permanently because we could lose ourselves. But empathy is what makes a relationship real and safe. Empathy leads 
to action. And then he, they close with this thought. When you see the pain of another, you want to help. God created you that way. I want to tell you, Ramp Church, empathy is so much more than just feeling bad about a situation. And I think all of us, I mean, you would have to be an extremely calloused person not to see the videos and the footage of what's come out recently in these events and just, just not care a bit about it. Empathy goes a step further. It's not just, it's not feeling bad. Empathy, empathy tries to see the world through someone else's eyes. You're trying to sit in their seat. You're trying to, to understand the pain that brought them to see that perspective in the first place. You're trying to travel in their, their journey. You're hearing stories about their childhood. You're hearing stories about um, events of racism in their life so that, so that you can see what they see. It's not about bringing your answer to them. That is an empathetic and feeling bad about their situation. Empathy means that I see, I see the world the way they see it. That's the invitation. In a, safe pe- in a safe place, you and I, we come to learn not to teach. We come with an open mind. In a safe space, we seek to understand not to be understood. And, and by that, we're saying, I need your perspective. In a safe space, I'm seeking to feel what they feel. And, and we're saying, I need your emotions in my life. And I think the biggest hindrance to this is we've, we, out of self-protection, we become defensive. It's like, I don't want to see or feel the way you feel because I feel like it's going to require change out of me. I feel like it may show me that I'm wrong. And I want to tell you, isn't that what a Christian, part of the Christian life? Isn't that what a Christian is? Is Ram Church, we're better than that. You know that, that there's something in us that that says, yes, God disciplines those he loves. He wants to bring us into wholeness. And sometimes the doorway is through realizing, wait a second, I haven't seen this the right way. The call is to create safe spaces and relationships. I love what Pastor Michael Phillips says. He says, hurt must be heard before it can be healed. Hurt must be heard before it can be healed. We need to be empathetic. The third urgent imperative is we create safe spaces and relationships. And the fourth and final urgent imperative um, is that we practice cultural humility. We practice cultural humility. Now, Ram Church, we don't have time to discuss in detail the way race, culture, and ethnicity work together to shape our perspectives and interactions with each other. Um, but, I, but I'll try to summarize by saying that our experience of race, yours and mine, is almost always more than just skin color or nation of origin. There are cultural and religious constructs and worldviews flowing between us and around us in those, those topics, which, which means that we must practice cultural humility. What do I mean by that? Well, often when we think of a diverse cultural society, even a diverse church like Ramp Church, um, we, we, we kind of envision a rainbow of colorful skin tones, but generally they're all acting the same. And oftentimes by same, we mean white. So to be British or to be American is for each culture to adopt the culture and practices of the ethnic majority uh, until the only thing that separates us is the color of our skin. 
And I, I just want to tell you, that's not cultural humility. Uh, it's, it's not even diversity. Diversity and cultural humility require first, first, this is, this is a good lesson for you, that we ourselves, every person, even in the white community, we have a culture. We are an ethnicity ourselves. And then we must celebrate the very varied cultures and practices and expressions uh, of love and beauty and goodness all around us. And, you know, when we talk about this, I can hear Christians begin to ask, um, you know, well, what about a kingdom culture? Aren't, aren't, we, aren't we meant to adopt a, a biblical kingdom culture um, in this? Aren't we all supposed to homogenize? And uh, uh, the answer is yes, of course, we're meant to, to, to adopt a kingdom culture, but it's not a homogenous culture. The kingdom culture transcends earthly cultures. It allows the beauty, the uniqueness found in each human culture to flourish. This is why we see the church right now in the middle of the greatest movement of Christianity in history, showing different people groups and cultures within their, their own unique expressions of what church looks like. You see, Christianity is unique among all the world religions in, in, in that God's kingdom undergirds earthly cultures. It, it doesn't supplant them. Like you and I experience, even on individual levels, uh, our relationship with God, it enriches our uniqueness. It doesn't make us all with the same personality and the same style. And No, so it is with societies and cultures. The work of the Holy Spirit enriches the distinct beauty in each culture. Think about the way um, a child expresses, different children, our three kids, Stacey and I's three kids, they express the nature of their parents in three unique ways. Uh, cultures highlight the uniqueness of God in the same way. And you can actually see the different attributes of God's nature in the, in the varied cultures around the world. I love what renowned historian and scholar, uh, Dr. Ibram Kendi, he says it like this. He says, assimilationists believe in the post-racial myth that talking about race constitutes racism. Uh, or that if we stop identifying by race, then racism will miraculously go away. They fail to realize that if we stop using racial categories, then we will not be able to identify racial inequity. Terminating racial categories is potentially the last, not the first step in the anti-racist struggle. What's, what's Kendi saying? Uh, he's saying maybe removing an us and them paradigm is the ultimate goal, but it isn't the place to start. Why? Because until you understand that someone else's experience differs from your own, you can't properly see the way forward. Ramp Church, we must practice cultural humility. That's the fourth urgent imperative. So to finish, you know, to finish this off, what's my call? Here's my call today, Ramp Church. Number one, I want you to commit to God's vision of unity. Not yours, not mine, God's. It needs to get in your heart. Number two, I want you to guard your heart because the enemy right now wants to monopolize this situation and divide us. And number three, I want you to commit to personal growth because there's more than we're currently experiencing and it requires your growth to push us past. Don't think that this is some corporation or government that needs to make changes, but you don't need to. You and I need to grow. All of this, all of it would be enough if it helped stop the loss of one innocent life.
If it leads to more equal opportunities, if it narrows the gap between the haves and the have-nots, it would be enough if it helped the people of color just in Ramp Church live with more dignity and grace. It would be enough to introduce our children, your children, my children, to a world that only had scars from healed wounds instead of preparing them for their own. That would all be enough. But you know there's more? There's more because God has a vision. God has a vision that in the end, every nation, every tribe, every language, and every people will be one, united in worship and adoration of their maker, realizing that as they gaze on God, the beauty of their diversity is only outmatched by the transcendence of his glory. My brothers and sisters of color, I want to tell you justice is coming. And it's not just a concept, an abstract concept. It's, it's coming as a person, and his name is Jesus. All things lost will be restored, and all things old will be made new again. Let's pray together in closing. Father, thank you. Thank you for your beautiful vision today that, that what you see and your abilities and your strength in us can take us beyond our own efforts, beyond our own intellect, beyond our own abilities to govern each other, organize ourselves, because, because your laws aren't just written on stone, they're written on our hearts, that your work transforms us from the inside out. I pray that you would look at Ramp Church in this season, at every person watching, our online family, our family here in Manchester, and that you would identify those next steps for each of us. For some of us, it's opening up for the first time, and then all the way to the, to the other end of the spectrum where people are actually making decisions today to, to, to create action in their lives. But all of us, Father, today are on that journey of seeing what you see, committing to your vision of unity, committing to growth, guarding our hearts, and taking that one next step today. I pray that when you look at Ramp Church, Father, in the days to come, that you would see a, a picture in the middle of, uh, of the world, that you would see the picture of your vision of every tribe, nation, and tongue giving you the glory that you deserve. Start with me today. God, start with us. We want to humble ourselves before you, and I pray that you would address the two hindrances and then inspire us with the four urgent imperatives in this season. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name.